Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. Today we are talking about Omega the Unknown number seven and number eight, which are filling issues. Omega number seven is written by Scott Edelman, still with art by Jim Mooney. Omega number eight is written by Roger Stern with art by Lee Elias. Yeah, Amir, these were not the greatest comic books. No. Makes I, you realize how much better Gerber and Screenus Omega is than most of the comics coming out at the time. Yeah, I thought that Roger Stern's one was closer to Gerber and Screenus's, uh, I guess, book than the, than the Elias and Mooney one. Yeah, I think there obviously was some guidance from Gerber about what to write about since he brings in Richard Rory and, you know, who turns out to be an important character in the last couple of issues and who has this really interesting relationship with Gerber's work. Gerber has had this thing in the seventies of creating these characters that were kind of analogs for himself, were mm -hmm. kind of avatars for him on the comics page. And Richard Rory was one of those people. I wonder if it was up, now he hooks up with Ruth too, Rory. I mean, I looked him up, yeah, he's like, <laughs> It's like, oh, now, now Gerber is trying to hook up with Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ruth, of course, had her own troubled past that we you could read about if you read Man Thing. And, you know, she's connected to that biker gang that she was part of. Oh. And then Richard basically saves her and they fall in love because he saves her. And then he she moves from Florida where he, she was kind of hanging out with Richard after the biker gang incident went, was passed and moves to New York to have a new start. So mm -hmm. if you have the whole backstory, which of course we don't because this is a separate mm -hmm. comic, uh, it explains a lot about like why Ruth is so kind of meek and why in Omega number six, there's all these comments about oh. Ruth being scared or shy or not wanting to get out as much because um, she's been through some real trauma in her life. And oh. Richard reappearing um, and the stuff that's going to happen in issue nine and 10 really shows like why she the level of her, of trauma and why she felt so traumatized. Yeah. No, it, it was interesting. I didn't know that actually. Um, so that's interesting. I did want to say, I, I don't know if we're going to just jump around on these issues, but it was just funny for me how the number seven was so uncharacteristic to what I read before mm -hmm. from Gerber and Screenus. And then eight was, it sounded like, I think to your point, like Gerber was like, okay, hold on. This, the last issue was like nothing. I wouldn't have written that. In fact, an issue, in a, so let's change some stuff. So when he brought on, or he, when Stern came on board, he kind of gave him some pointers, but to your point. The Rory. I don't know how much. I mean, seven starts out literally, the first word in issue seven is Omega, referring to our yeah. hero. Yeah, and yeah, as we've yeah, been yeah. talking about forever, like Gerber and Screen has never called him Omega. Yeah, Omega awakens, groggy and shaken. <laughs> yeah, like, wait, what, what, what am I reading all of a sudden? And then there's a point where, like, I think uh, James Michael tells uh, Amber, is like, don't you think that you're being a little over-emotional? <laughs> it's like, what? Mm-hmm. It it's just all seems so out of character. And then Mammy? Who the hell is Mammy who well, died? Mammy's the woman who um, was... Killed oh, last died. issue by she the was, wrench. Oh, I didn't even know she died. Okay. I don't yeah, well, it kind of it's kind of glossed over in a way. And like, yeah, even Pop seems a little out of character, right? Because last issue he was kind of just dealing with loss, 
without slamming his fist against the wall like that. Mm-hmm. And a blockbuster, like, it's funny how, like, blockbuster has to give his credits, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, first of all, he's all like, oh, you know, like, I got to save my kid and I need money. And by the way, I'm like this hero. And you may have seen me beat up, you know, <laughs> it just kind of reminds me, of, but it's not really that great of a credit. Like, it's like, okay. It reminds me of like, I used to do comedy and I didn't really get to too many levels, but we used to do these open mic shows or like shows that weren't really, and nobody comes, you know, people don't know who you are. So the credits are like, oh yeah, uh, performs colleges and campuses all over the state. You know, it's, it's nothing really special. It's like blockbuster. Like this is not a really special credit. Like he played an extra in episode, season three, episode four of Arrested Development. Yeah. 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 He's all like, yeah, I was an extra. You know, I was there when Captain America broke his shield and I, I, I helped. I almost creamed Captain America. Yeah. He's so Z-level. Who's he talking to, too? Why is he smashing his wall and shit? Yeah. In that rundown, shitty apartment. Isn't he poor? Like, Yeah, so like, wouldn't all this stuff be precious to him? Yeah. Yeah, uh, so I should say, yeah, Edelman writes this issue. And he writes in his blog that I wrote Omega number 7 was purely a result of being in the right place at the right time. Many writing assignments back then ended up being handed out the same way. See, Gerber was revealing the comic secret slowly. That Unfortunately, that was not the only thing that was being done slowly. For reasons I no longer remember, the book was in danger of missing its printing schedule. The editor-in-chief of the time, Jim Shooter, was determined to crack down on what was referred to in those days as the dreaded deadline doom. Mm-hmm. So Shooter took Roger Stern and me out to dinner and told us that we were going to write the next two issues of Omega basically overnight, allowing the hero to have adventures while making sure nothing important was left changed about the characters by the end of each issue. We were each assigned an artist to whom we had to quickly turn in over a plot. And I was thrilled to nab Jim Mooney as my artist. So um, yeah, it was pl- these two issues were planned at some point all along the way as being fill-ins. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it's in fairness to Elias. Is it Elias? His name is Elias, right? The writer. Yeah, in the, in the next issue, yeah. I'm sorry, Edelman, Scott Edelman. Yeah. In fairness to him, it sounds like, I mean, he had to do issue, he had to get it done before Stern did. So he probably didn't catch up on some of the reading. Mm-hmm. This actually brings up a good question. Jason, if you're given this assignment and you have to finish this by tomorrow, and let's assume you haven't read this comic and there are already six issues, what would you do? That's a great question because I've been thinking about that. And I think actually what I would do is something really similar to what Edelman does here. Yeah. Which is just kind of have it be a tangent, you know, some character who we don't care about going and, and forcing our hero to fight them without doing really anything to advance the plot lines. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what he does. Aside from having the hero whispered to James Michael, secret, which I think is silly. I would pretty much do what Element does here, which is, yeah, just, just kind of create something that holds everything steady mm-hmm. and, and not change much. What would you do? 
Uh, I just thought about this a little bit. And my thinking is what I would do is I would not, I would have the, because the direct, because I think Edelman, even in trying to like not change anything big, I think he basically mischaracterized, you know, the hero. He pretty much wrote James Michael the way James Michael is not, you know, all these, he made a, you know, a lot of, it's not his fault. But what I would do, having learned from that mistake of his, him going before me, I would make it with uh, the reaction of everyone else in the city to what's going on to like, oh, you know, the mm. hero and James Michael in a sense that like, let's say like they're back, like the main characters in Omega the Unknown become background to like the city. Well, you go kind of Will Eisner spirit style and have it be about the supporting characters or about the city itself. Not even the supporting characters, just about, like, I would just make it an issue that matters, that matters, doesn't matter at all. Ah, about, I like, like that. Like for example, um, Maybe like Omega is like, you know, the hero or whatever. Sam is jumping from one rooftop to rooftop. And then you just pan out and you just talk about this homeless dude who's like, just saw him or his reaction to that. Or or like the Hulk or like go back to the Hulk fight and some guy who's having like, I don't know, like pancakes and like have, you know, the reaction of everything else that of people who will never show up in, in these comics so that you can cover your own butt, that you're not changing anything. And at the same time, tell a story. You don't have to read the first six issues. I mean, no, you do. I'm sorry, you have to read it, but you don't have to allude to like specific situations. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it could be like a bottle episode. Yeah. Where you like, you have all the events from the previous issues in the background and show yeah. other people reacting to them. Yeah. And you're kind of building the world without having to touch the world. That's, a, that's what I would do. Oh, I like that a lot. You should do a fan, a fan story of it. I would read the hell out of that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's a lot of pages, though. Seventeen pages. <laughs> Seventeen pages. In in '70s comic style too. So it's a lot of words compared to what we read now. Oh yeah. Yeah, because everything about this issue just feels off, and yeah, it's kind of silly to say that that it wouldn't because. This is definitely a creator-driven strip. But like when James Michael just kind of randomly happens upon Amber, or not Amber, excuse me, when James Michael just happens to come across Diane, who's just sitting on her stoop, and Amber says, we're going to visit Nedley, Diane. And she says, neat? Like, that's not what, that's absolutely not what Diane would say. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I think it would be interesting for them to tell the story of the kid who's like abused by his parents that Diane talks about and maybe yeah. how he sees himself mm -hmm. in our hero. Do you remember reading this issue? First yeah, time? yeah, I do. And I remember being deeply, deeply disappointed in it. Hmm. Feeling like I was cheated. Uh, what about the next one, the stern ones? Same thing? So there were there's two scenes in this issue that I think are great though. On which one? Sorry, with Stern or uh... in the Elman issue. Oh, okay. And they both involve our hero. By uh, the way, before... I do want to say one thing. Oh, sorry, Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, and then I'll answer your question too. I think just leaving the um, um, the story. 
I would have, I, I can see why, like a lot of these pages were fights between the hero and Blockbuster. I could see doing that, like just, just a bunch of fights. Just get get out of get it out of the way. Have him fight somebody. Classic villain sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you were saying. Sorry, I interrupted you. So the one scene I like is our hero battles Blockbuster, and then Blockbuster flees, and the hero just kind of says stays stays there and says with an attitude of like, "Yeah, I don't care. I'm not going to go chase after this guy. Why the hell am I going to do that?" Mm-hmm. And I like that he's just kind of neutral about the fight he's just had. Because the mm-hmm. guy says, you know, Blockbuster's like, basically, I need the money because, you know, my kid is, is going to die or whatever. And the hero's like, yeah, okay. That, that seems reasonable enough to me. So the scenes where Mooney just draws him standing there and the crowd's kind of harassing mm-hmm. him. Yeah. I, I, I've always liked that. I kind of wished he had just walked away. Mm-hmm. What what is this any of his business? Why should he care? Yeah. And then at the very end, again, Blockbuster actually does just kind of get away. Mm-hmm. With the money. With the money. And that's the other scene I like because it's like, so what? Like, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. So that way I can I can absolutely see Gerber doing something like that. Apparently, there's a little there's something the comics code cut out of the last page on the on the last page panel four you know how there's a little bit of white space to the right of blockbuster as he's walking off panel yeah apparently the comics code forced marvel to cut the image of him slugging a police officer oh that looks like a slug huh (laughs) yeah It looks like he's kind of punching. Yeah. Uh, uh, did, you, did you like the hero letting the villain get away this issue, or did you think it was just like... It's probably like the main... Like, it's probably the closest uh, this issue came to, like, correctly characterizing mm-hmm. him. I just thought that, like, I, I would think that he would be more blank towards Blockbuster as opposed to feeling like, Oh, you are you and I. Yeah, he didn't say this, but it's basically like we are not so different, you know. The similarity inwardly, the cape man notes similarities. It's like nah, I don't, I don't think that he would see similarities. I think he'd be like, yeah, I don't yeah. care. Yeah, I, that's true. I think the narrative doesn't, the, all the inner narration doesn't really but, fit this at all. Yeah, but it's not fair to Edelman. I think he tried his best. He tried to be progressive in this issue a little, as much as. He could and he tried to do some stuff, you know. So it wasn't his fault. He's Edelman was friends with Gerber too, and he actually has some audio recordings of Gerber. They posted to his blog. So yeah, they were buddies, uh, but he just couldn't pull off his friend's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's too daunting. The um, uh, should we talk about the next issue? Sure. Oh, so Jim Mooney inked the next issue too. So he actually had his hand in both issues. I think Lee Elias does a decent job of drawing it too. He, yeah, he yeah. draws a kind of different take on Amber that is uh, makes her look kind of more pretty and more in more real life too. I Ruth, I don't recognize at all, but 
uh, Amber, I didn't really notice too much of her. It is a little bit of like that John Romita school. Yeah, it looks more John Romita style. But it might yeah. just be the inking, Jim Mooney's inking too. I like Amber in her kind of 70s disco pantsuit. Uh -huh. Oh, Rory, the, the, the dude Rory, he's like totally 70s. Yeah. Yeah, and he's always been a very 70s character. Oh, I mean, he was a 70s DJ, probably, probably playing deep cuts from Fleetwood Mac albums and stuff uh -huh. on his uh, radio show in, in Citrusville, Florida. I, I He's thought it was just a groovy 70s dude. Oh, cool. I thought it was funny that, like, when he came to stay with them, Ruth saw, like, you know, we're limited for space. You need to bunk with JM. It's like, Ruth, isn't he like, who could, why can't he just sleep in the bed that you are in? Uh huh. It's just like, you know, women, men can't be in the same room, I guess, sleeping. Yeah. Room, even if they're dating. After we see the big kiss she gives him, and they're obviously like a couple. But no, they can't sleep together. Yeah. I like his surprise at the neighborhood they live in too. Mm -hmm. And the the bits where Elias draws like the, the train tracks above the town, above the community. Oh, Actually, yeah. like it's a really nice establishing shot. It really gives you a feel for mm -hmm. what they're what the world really feels like. Like it feels oppressive. It feels like they've got the tracks and the trains just continually making them feel like they're kind of under something. Mm -hmm. yeah and then nitro i mean that whole nitro thing that's the filler issue right yeah totally filler god and when the hero comes in what has happened here see to your friend's needs and get him to safety quickly like uh -huh. no 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 sorry mr stern never fear omega the heroes <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, and he shoots the the omega beams out of his hands as if he's like some member of the Legion of Superheroes or something. Oh yeah. Yeah, none is of that Nitro, works at all. Is Nitro a popular villain? I've never heard of him. He was a B villain at the time. He's primarily a villain for Captain Marvel, mm. and he's the villain who gives Captain Marvel cancer in the famous oh. death of Captain Marvel storyline because he blows up and he releases radiation. Mm. And the radiation oh, he releases oh. are what gives Captain Marvel cancer. That's what happens at the end of this issue then? Yeah. Oh, okay. So when yeah, he blows up, is he going to die? Like, what's the whole... <laughs> he's able to blow himself up over and over again. It's kind of essentially oh. his power. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, he could give our hero... He could give Omega... Now we can call him Omega. Uh, cancer, if he's, if he, if that's something that happens to creatures from his world. At least we get some connection between the hero and James Michael in the last couple pages. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, oh yeah, there was a note that I put down here. Um, um, oh yeah, so I, I put, I wrote this down like Nitro. Nitro, I was like, oh, you're not, Captain Marvel. I almost feel like if that's like a joke by Stern, it's like, well, I'm I'm a Captain Marvel Marvel writer. You're not Marvel. I'm writing this, you know. I thought yeah. that was funny. Yeah, you're not some regular hero. You're this weirdo hero. And then there's also a page. Um, I'm I'm looking at the trade, so I don't know the exact page in the book, but 
there's one where um, in the trade paperback, it's 134, where I think what you just said is like James Michael and the hero, it's that whole, like they have this dual nature where they're the same person. You kind of get that in this issue, whereas in the other one, you did not. Yeah, it plays it up a lot. Yeah, it's from one page to another, the transition, the Alan Moore transition we talk about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. But then I think they get a little bit over and then it's like, now there's like a big old, like three pages later, it's like, it's right, it's after the page where you see the overpass or the train overpass. Mm -hmm. Next page, they're like noticing each other in the streets, like from far away. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah, they're giving each other eye contact. Yeah, that's not... Yeah. But you're right, that little subtle moment where there's you get the Alan Moore page flip of the same pose in the different characters' faces. I think it's so beautifully effective. Mm-hmm. Such a nice reflection of the way one character's feeling and their connection to each other. Yeah. Yeah, so you can give the credit to Leah Lies for this. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, Fool Killer, who is that guy? Fool Killer is, uh, the, the short answer is it's complicated. Mm. The longer answer is that he's a, basically when, so Richard Rory was the, the radio, the DJ in this town called Citrusville, Florida in during issues of Man Thing. And in one issue, there was a burning, a book burning. Mm. They wanted to burn books that were offensive to the people of Citrusville, Florida. Mm -hmm. And Richard Rory spoke up about that and he was arrested, sent to jail and was jailed with a guy named Greg Salinger, who was already crazy. When he came out, when Salinger came out of jail, he befriended Richard Rory and put on this costume to be the fool killer, who was a man who was intending to kill the fools in American society. Mm. And so he is this kind of psychopath who more or less follows Richard Rory around. There's more complicated, more complications to them. He's basically a second generation character. There was another fool killer before him. There's another fool killer after him who was also written by Gerber in this incredible miniseries from the early 1990s. 10 issue Fool Killer miniseries Gerber does uh, in the early 90s is one of the best things he ever wrote. Mm. And so this is kind of one of the Gerber's kind of legacy characters. And there's a lot going on with him. Mm, got it. Okay. Interesting. But he's kind of like a hero. He wants to kill fools. Well, he- yeah, he's by the time Gerber writes him in 1990. He's kind of the satire of the Punisher in the same way that Omega is a satire of Superman. Mm. Okay. He's kind of this really terrifying funhouse mirror version of the Punisher who's like, he does crazy shit like doing push-ups against broken glass as a way of toughening toughening himself up. Um, But he also becomes kind of a folk hero. It's like, it's a great B-movie sort of dark fantasy Mm -hmm. oh okay interesting yeah so we'll see a little bit of him in the two remaining issues he's a 
he's a fascinating character, really compelling, mm. completely crazy. Well, it's it's interesting because the other thing I was thinking about this whole issue um, is that you know the nature of you know monthly comics is that you get do artists and writers come in, they put in their ideas in. And um, with the, I guess, the input of other writers, in this case, you know, uh, Scrinis and Gerber, Scrinis and Gerber. And so even though I complain like, oh, Elias didn't do a good job or, you know, Stern didn't do a good job, that they're part of the cog, they're part of the whole process, even if they shift the story somewhere else or miscategorize something, this is, quote unquote, written in history that now they've acted this way at some point because it was published. Right. Which is kind of interesting to me. Like, you know, um, I'm more of like a, you know, I don't read, I, I read monthlies, but I'm not really a subscriber to a monthly comics. I'd rather read independent comics. And it's just interesting that monthly comics with people coming in and out, it's a different kind of a beast than a full story told based on just one or two vision or the one person's vision, you know? It's interesting, yeah. it's like a mishmash of multiple creators. And that's that in and of itself is something that's, that I love, that I like a lot, you know? Compared to something like a Tom King st series, no one would ever step in for Tom King to do issue seven of Rorschach. Yeah. And it's kind of the closest, closest analogy to this, right? Because it's a self-contained series where it's like yeah. clearly designed well was the way. goal of omega oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you yeah i was in, was the goal of omega the unknown to be a mini series or was it an ongoing no there was no such thing as a mini series at the time i think they meant it to be an ongoing sorry and i, I think we would have theoretically had all the sequence revealed and then have it go on to be something else after gerber mm -hmm. screen has told us what was happening that's, I'd like to think maybe it was like the precursor to a larger galactic war or something. Mm. Oh yeah, that's right. That's true. Because I'm thinking like eventually the original fan's heart was going to be broken. Not broken, but you know, like people would eventually somebody else was going to take over and they would have had new sets of fans and the old fans would have said, oh, you know, this is not how it should be. We should do an hour after we do record about episode 10. And talk about where we thought the story should go. Mm, yeah, that'd be cool. Because, yeah, I think after you read that, I have my theories that I've had for, I've been playing with for a long time. I'd be curious what, what we make of what the series would have become. Oh, and I'd love to maybe read the one with Farrell Darlin too, maybe. I, did, did, that was not a continuation, right? That was like a remake, right? The reimagining. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, and I bet Farrell would come join us at the end. That'd be great, yeah. Next issue, we get fighting fools. As you can imagine, Fool Killer then really does appear in the comic. And it starts with the single most wrenching splash page I think I've ever read comics. Oh. It just, it starts the issue with such a feeling of sadness and melancholy, but it pays off perfectly what happens before. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks, Amir. Thanks, thanks, Jason. Oh, thank you.